The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and I'm delighted to be with you again for uh, yet another show on the, the Business Elevation Show. And uh, today my guest is Chris Putnam Walkerley, and we're going to be talking about developing your giving strategy and uh, you know, this seems uh, really is something that's very much on my mind at the moment uh, around this kind of aspect of giving. And I was very inspired a few weeks ago when I was interviewing Ritz Carlton, uh, the hotel group, and Sue Stevenson, who was their vice president for uh, Community Footprints. And just hearing what they were doing in terms of an organization that actually um, helped 18,000 local teenagers to, uh, to, to learn key life skills um, as part of one of their many, many initiatives. And uh, you know, giving really is something, I think, on many people's agenda. And as, as business owners, um, many of us are really wanting to look at how can we contribute, and business leaders, how can we contribute uh, to the common good? I'd also like to say a big thank you to uh, my guest last week, who was Andy Gilbert. Um, Andy uh, is an amazing guy, and I hope you enjoyed that interview on thinking for high performance because uh, he's someone who has certainly impressed me when I've met him. And I think there are lots of ideas in there which can really help us to ask better questions, think in a more coherent way and, and achieve more. So to today's show again, so with so many charities and concerns to support today, you know, how do you best determine your strategy for giving? How do you ensure that your giving is transforming those issues that really matter to you and that you're leaving with that wonderful feeling that uh, you're creating a legacy Uh, rather than as many of us uh, may well have done uh, and I certainly have you know drip fed transactions into uh, various different charities but uh, being very unclear of the impact. I remember many years ago uh, giving a quite a substantial sum of money to an appeal when there'd been uh, the tsunami, and uh, my funds went to Sri Lanka, which is somewhere I'd just been on, I'd been on honeymoon at the time, and then hearing about a year or two later that there were still loads of funds left that were unspent, and I wondered if I'd wisely given to the right cause. Now, my guest today, Chris Putnam Walkerley, is a nationally recognized philanthropy advisor in the United States, and she's president of Putnam Consulting Group, Incorporated. Now, since 1999, she's helped over 50 foundations and philanthropists strategically allocate and assess more than $300 million in grants and gifts to increase their impact uh, around sharing success and uh, advancing the mission. She provides experience advising and coaching, strategy development, assessment and communications uh, to help um, foundation leaders and individual philanthropists. Uh, Her client list is pretty amazing. Uh, Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, Charles and Helen Schwab Foundation, Walton Family Foundation, um, David and Lucille Packard Foundation, and dozens more. She's the author of the highly acclaimed Philanthropy 411 blog, Confident Giving Newsletter, and Smart Philanthropy podcast series. And she has more than 15,000 followers on Twitter. Um, So I'd just like to say a big welcome today to my guest, Chris Putnam-Walkerley. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. You're very welcome. A pleasure to talk with you. And I just always like to ask my guests uh, where, where you know, bats in the world they come from. I know you're in the United States. Whereabouts are you? I'm just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio. Do you know, I had a, my first ever boss came from Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> Cleveland's <laughs> a, great, it's a great town. Yeah, she was a great lady, actually. I'd love to check her, check her out, see where she is. Um, 
Now, you've uh, obviously not been just working in the United States, because I remember when we chatted before uh, the uh, this interview today, um, one of the areas and, and projects that you'd worked on in your life was in El Salvador. And uh, you know, I'd just love you to share a little bit about what you were doing there and you know, what that was like in that uh, very challenging um, area of the world at the time. Yeah, uh, my first job out of college actually was working for an organization in the U.S. that was supporting uh, organizations working on human rights in El Salvador. This was during the Civil War in the early 1990s. And, um, you know, my experiences there were very informative um, for my life. I mean, I it was a very intense experience. I remember sitting in uh, nonprofit organizations, human rights organizations that had um, sketches of torture scenes of people being tortured walls. And the reason they did that was because when survivors of torture came into the office for help, they often would be so traumatized by their experience, they couldn't really describe it verbally, but they could point to the picture to explain what had happened to them. So, you know, it was a very intense experience to be there during the Civil War, um, but it was also very helpful. It was really my first experience professionally in understanding um, having a poverty mentality versus an abundance mentality, which I think is a problem in philanthropy and in probably all aspects of business as well. So, for example, um, you know, the organization I worked for in San Francisco, you know, we, none of us made very much money and we tried not to spend very much money on ourselves. So we didn't have a fax machine or a copy machine in our office. And instead, we would walk about 10 or 15 blocks down the street to another organization to borrow the fax machine and their copy machine. And needless to say, you know, we relied on these, uh, you know, copies uh, pretty extensively. So it was a pretty big drain in our time. But, you know, we felt like we needed to give all the money to the organizations in El Salvador doing all this important work. So then I go down to a delegation to El Salvador and I walk into the office of one of these organizations that we're helping. And lo and behold... I have a giant copy machine and fax machine and, you know, full, uh, fully stocked office um, because those were important resources for doing their work. And it was a really interesting lesson for me to realize that we were, you know, sort of impoverishing ourselves and preventing ourselves from being as effective as we could be, thinking we were really helping other people. But we weren't paying any attention to things like, you know, how much time that took uh, for us to, you know, waste all that time walking around the neighborhood looking for uh, a fax machine and that time that could have been better spent on doing more effective uh, strategic work. So it was a good lesson for me that I um, use to this day in working with my philanthropic clients. Thinking so about, that, oh, go ahead. Yeah, that's, the same. that's, a, that's a really you know, fascinating and important point, isn't it? Because I, I can imagine you know, a lot of people, I, I've met quite a lot of uh, people who have done a lot for charity and uh, you know, are close to the poverty line themselves because they feel they have to give everything. Um, yeah. Actually... You know, I think we do deserve the right to live well, and uh, and also we deserve the right to to furnish ourselves and, and offices and, and the likes with equipment that enables us to be efficient. Exactly, and I think a lot of philanthropists and high wealth donors or, uh, feel guilt really for having money, and so essentially refuse to invest in their own development or in any effort that will help them be more effective uh, grant makers. And not sort of losing sight of the end goal. The end goal is to have the greatest impact. And so it's okay, you know, to invest in some of the basics or some good advice or, um, you know, capacity to be able to, to give well, to give effectively. So, so when you talk about, you talk about some of the, the philanthropists, I mean, presumably these are people who have made a lot of money and have a lot of money to invest. Or is that not always the case? Well, it's not always the case. I mean, anybody who gives really is a philanthropist. So you could be an ultra high net worth, you know, billionaire participating in the giving pledge. Um, or you could be an individual who, you know, wants to make a difference in your community or a, you know, a business owner, a small business owner, or, you know, a, a corporation, a larger corporation. I think the point is to be thoughtful. Um, you know, you mentioned your previous guest uh, last week spoke about thinking for high performance. I think you know, a lot of it is about thinking through the impact that you want to have in the world or in your community and what's the most effective way to accomplish and get to that impact. Mm. So, so what I think th th this conversation we're having is really 
relevant for anybody, isn't it, who has a, a charitable nature, um, whether you, you've earned billions of pounds and, or dollars and you want to, uh, to help various causes or whether you just maybe want to make it a part of your lifestyle. Absolutely. Because you mentioned earlier, you know, sort of the drip example, we all get appeals sent to us in the mail of, you know, organizations that are looking for money or our friends who are on, you know, bike-a-thons to raise money for for cancer or some event uh, that's a fundraiser. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, giving to those organizations, but at the end of the day, what is it amounting to? And so, you know, at that scale, if you're giving a hundred dollars here, a thousand dollars there, or at much larger scales and million dollars here, a hundred thousand dollars there. I think to be effective, it's important to think about, you know, what are the causes you care about? um, Which are the organizations that are doing really good work? And what is the difference that you want to make? And even how can you, you know, partner with others to leverage your funds for greater impact? Yeah. Now you went on and, and you obviously created this successful organization that's helping many people develop their giving strategies um, just interested, uh, a little bit of um, a, a sort of a cheeky question here, <laughs> but, but I wondered, you know, is it easier to do that uh, or more difficult than being a parent and stepmom to five children? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question. You know, they say parenting is the hardest job in the world, but I say step parenting is actually even harder. Um, you know, it's an experience where you have a lot of responsibility and almost zero authority. And, uh, you know, I, I know that I find myself parenting through my husband uh, and trying to get him to do things that I don't really have the authority to do. Um, so that's a challenge. I think it's also a challenge, you know, you, uh, when I became a step-parent um, about eight years ago, my stepchildren were then about 10 through 14. So I didn't have those lovely memories of when they're little babies and adorable to, to fall back on when they were acting out or not showing up at, at night uh, for their curfew and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's a challenge, but it's also um, it's a wonderful experience. And, I, you know, I think a lot of um, a lot of people in the world are have a step relationship. They have step parents or stepchildren or they're dating somebody who has children and not enough resources dedicated to those kinds of parenting, um, which is another role for philanthropy. Absolutely. So what does your company really do for people? Yeah, we essentially help people figure out the best ways to give their money away. Um, This can be ultra high net worth philanthropists and donors uh, or families, uh, people who run foundations, existing foundations or corporations. Um, so essentially, it's figuring out, you know, what are the causes that they care about? What are the um, what are the real needs related to those issues and causes? Uh, where can they have the most impact based on perhaps their geographic location or the amount of money they have to give? And helping them identify the right organizations to support, and then ultimately assess the impact that they're having. Uh, and why, why do you, your clients want want to give? Is is it uh, purely? you know, kind of a heartfelt thing, or is it because uh, in some ways, you know, givers gain? Well, yeah, I do think givers gain. I think there's, you know, four main reasons that people want to give. One is because they genuinely want to have an impact in the world or in their community. They want to make a difference. I think you mentioned earlier legacy. I think that's really important um, to many people. I think secondly, you know, it feels good to help. Uh, There's just a emotional positive experience you get when you know that you made a difference in somebody else's life and you want that and it's okay to you know to give in part because you feel good about it i think that's really important um there's also the third you know third reason is certainly tax benefits in many parts of the world um there's financial benefits to being charitable um and many people prefer to give to the causes they care about um you know for example, through their will and not to the government in the form of taxes. <laughs> um, and then, you know, certainly corporations, um, I think, have a benefit of giving, which is to support the, you know, to have the the benefit to their bottom line. So to build, uh, you know, customer loyalty and, and um, you know, kind of positive brand experience and be good corporate citizens. Excellent. We've got about uh, just a, to two to three minutes left before commercial break. But I wonder, you know, how have you seen people getting this wrong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I 
think people get it wrong when they um, do it for the wrong reasons. So I've seen people um, seek to be charitable because it feeds ego or because it's self-serving. I remember um, living in San Francisco and talking with a, a couple. This was a high net worth couple uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, and uh, the husband, I think, was in finance. And they wanted my help um, to help them figure out their philanthropic giving what they wanted to support the wife said well one of the things we want to support is our local police department because my husband likes to ride horses and he wants to be able to ride around town without getting a ticket <laughs> so she, she could give money to the police department you know they wouldn't get they wouldn't uh, they looked the other way so you know, that was so offensive i just refused to work with them um i spoke to another fund recently who said that one of their trustees really likes kind of enjoys when nonprofits have to grovel and beg for money. Sort of there was just this sort of power trip involved. So, uh, you know, when you give for the wrong reasons, I think that's a problem. You know, I think philanthropy should feel good to the donor, to the giver, but not at the expense of others. Mm. Mm. It makes a, makes a, a lot of sense. Um, we're going to go, I think, to commercial break now. Um, and after the commercial break, we're going to look at uh, start to look at you know your strategy for giving and uh, and how to actually go about this. So we shall be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realise your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Chris Putnam Walkerley. If you want some more information around the different shows that uh, are coming up, or my some thoughts and reflections on the previous shows, uh, then please do go to chriscooper.co.uk. Subscribe to the newsletter there, and uh, we'll keep you updated with uh, with occasional mailings uh, giving you information on what's uh, coming up. Um, and if you're enjoying the show, you've got any comments or feedback, do send them through to me because I love to hear from people. It's always really appreciated. Um, now, I was chatting with Chris um, Putnam-Walkley and we were talking about developing your giving strategy. And I wonder, Chris, how might you need to think differently depending upon whether you're an individual or an entrepreneur who wants to give a modest amount versus, say, a corporate company or one of those high net worth individuals that you work with who clearly will give a lot? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of similarities, right? So regardless of whether you're giving a small amount of money or a million dollars, um, you still there's still certain things you want to have in place. You want to know where the money is going. You want to pick an organization that you know have a good track record, um, you know, proven record of success. They have strong leadership and so forth. So 
I think a lot, there's a lot of similarities, but I think the difference is really obviously in the scale, right? So with larger sums of money, you have the opportunity to make a much broader difference, a much deeper impact, but you also have the potential to cause damage if you do it wrong. Um, so if you have $100 to give away, you know, and you give it to an organization that doesn't use it well, you know, it's not the end of the world. If you have a million dollars to give away and you give it to an organization and they, um, you know, uh, pill for the money or, you know, don't use it well. And, you know, you appear on the New York times having been their greatest donor. Um, Oh, you know, then you've lost a lot of money. The damage is bigger or they could have even used it for, you know, to, 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 to do harm to people. So I think it behooves you when you have a larger sums of money to do a lot more due diligence um, and be a lot more thoughtful and careful uh, on the front end of thinking through your strategy, really understanding the needs, um, checking in on the organizations that you're supporting and, you know, looking at their finances and their leadership to really feel confident that, you know, you understand the impact they're going to have with the funds but, you know, on the flip side, you can make a tremendous difference. I mean, you mentioned a couple of our clients are the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation and the Walton Family Foundation. They're both in um, Arkansas, the state of Arkansas, in the U.S., and they're working together to dramatically improve K-12 through education across the entire state in partnership with, you know, teachers and the State Department of Education. So the work they're doing collectively, you know, will benefit children in Arkansas for decades to come. So, you know, you certainly can accomplish a lot, but at the end of the day, it's thinking through, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? What are the right organizations to support and what are the needs and how can you, you know, support those needs? Yeah, you, you sort of got me thinking, I, I, uh, when, I, when I was at uh, university, we had a room which was called the Xerox uh, suite and in there, there was a number of Xerox machines, uh, computers that we could use as students and then... Yeah, there was a relationship between Xerox and the university and they would take students on placements uh, and some of those they would then take on and employ. And it was, uh, you know, they were kind of giving, but there was uh, you know, something very reciprocal coming back. So it wasn't kind of, you know, we'll give to a, a charity that we care about that, that feeds, you know, impoverished people. It was something very, very kind of a mutual relationship with some funding. So I suppose some of the things that you can do with this uh, can be quite, quite varied. Yeah, I mean, uh, in that example, it was great that Xerox was able to provide the support to the university and to the students. And, you know, they benefited because they were able to bring in good talent uh, to work with them and their company. And the students benefited because they were able to get job experience and exposure and learn more about Xerox as a company. So there's really nothing wrong when there is a mutual benefit in philanthropy, as long as it's very clear to all parties, um, you know, what that benefit is. It sort of got me thinking as as well, actually, we should, uh, we're kind of moving on to something a little different, but I was thinking about political donations. You know, I'm always kind of a bit suspicious when people give amounts of money to a political party. Um, But I guess that in some respects, that's still philanthropic, isn't it? Well, that's interesting. It's not philanthropic from a tax perspective in the same way that a donation to a nonprofit organization is. And I suppose it's probably different in every country what's allowable. Um, so I think, you know, I, I would actually separate that from philanthropic giving. Wouldn't, wouldn't fit within your, within your definition of it. Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, um, I mean, philanthropic giving, at least in the United States, is really about supporting, you know, nonprofit organizations, charitable organizations to do good uh, for civic society. And while certainly politicians (laughs) can and should be doing good for our society, I just think it's a different kind of giving uh, and certainly has different kinds of um, legal and tax implications. Yeah, yeah, great. So, so let's talk about how you develop your strategy for giving. How, how would you do it? Yeah, well, I think the first step is to really identify the issues and causes that are meaningful to you or to your family or to your corporation. So, you know, it could be the migrant crisis in Europe or it could be that someone in your family experienced cancer or domestic violence or, you know, there's some trend happening in your community like um, there's high rates of heroin use in the United States and various communities. And you're really trying to address that. So I think first is getting clear on what's most meaningful. 
And then the next step is to understand more deeply what those needs are, the opportunities to help. So, you know, maybe uh, in Cleveland, one of the challenges we experience is there's um, low high school graduation rates. So of all the kids that start high school, only maybe 50 or 60 percent of them actually graduate. And that's a problem because obviously, um, you know, high school graduates have a better chance of making good incomes and leading successful lives as adults. So, but you want to understand, you know, what's causing that and what are the options for helping address it? So, you know, high truancy rates could be because kids are too scared to walk to school because they're walking through ridden neighborhoods and it's literally dangerous. So they're not showing up to school out of safety reasons. Um, so maybe you want to provide busing or maybe you want to reduce gang activity in those neighborhoods. Those are two really different solutions. Or another option might be realize that uh, kids that receive high quality preschool uh, when they're three and four years old have a better chance of doing well in kindergarten, better chance of reading by the time they're nine or ten, more likely to graduate high school. So you might want to kind of go back and support uh, kids at much earlier ages. So there's always different ways to tackle an issue or a problem. I think it's important to figure out, A, what's, what did the data show in terms of what the need is and what successful interventions are? And then secondly, what's most interesting and meaningful to you? Because any of those things I suggested are, would be very helpful. But if you care, if you're more interested in busing versus pre-K, then, you know, go for it. So I think, it, you know, it really depends on your own interests. Thirdly, I think, you know, just considering your geographic area, where you want to focus your funding. And then the last is how much money you have to donate. Um, that also can, you know, focus your efforts as well. Excellent. I heard a, read a lovely example. I, I can't remember if it was the Mississippi, somebody who was fed up with it being full of litter and, uh, and a mess. It was one of, your, one of your main rivers in the U.S. I think it was in Mississippi uh, uh-huh. and set on a, on a program to, uh, to clean it up. And ended up with something like about uh, twenty million dollars or something of, uh, of funding, huge amounts of money in the end, and lots of people got behind it. It was uh, just a lovely example of somebody having a passion for something that they found frustrating and actually going out and doing something about it. Absolutely, and it sounds like they were able to leverage a lot of additional resources to help. Yeah, over over time, you know, from little to, from a seed of an idea, you know, it, it snowballed and snowballed. Which is uh, so? To, is that the sort of thing you would do with people? You would you would have a conversation with you with them, would you, to try and help them understand what is important to them and maybe to their families, and work work on the you know ideal uh, focal point for their giving. Yeah, you know, I when I talk to our clients, I ask them to do three things: to to look back, to look around, and to look ahead. So looking back could be reflecting on your own life or your own experience uh, to identify, you know, what's meaningful to you, you know, how, what's different, uh, what happened to you in the past that made you who you are today. Maybe you received mentoring or you participated in some kind of leadership development training that helped you, you know, to be the person you are today, to make the money that you have, um, or, um, you know, some, and you want to make a difference in other people's lives lives in similar ways. You want to help provide that kind of experience. Looking around means, you know, literally understanding what's happening in your community or in the world um, that strikes you as very important. And, you know, you can figure that out from reading the paper or talking to community leaders, um, really trying to get a read on, you know, what's happening around you in the present day that you might have an interest in. And then the last area is looking ahead. And so thinking about what are the implications of what's happening today for the future. So, you know, going back to your tsunami example, um, when you said, you know, you, you gave to tsunami relief, um, often when there's disasters, uh, like an earthquake or a tsunami or the migrant crisis, there's obviously a need and a desire to help people immediately Um, and to sort of immediately give. But it's also very helpful to look down the road and think about, well, what are the needs going to be 10 years from now or three years from now? And what can we do now to put in place uh, to support those needs? So, you know, ongoing mental health support, for example, or or long-term resettlement and job training for migrants or changes in policies and things like that. So really thinking long-term. So by looking back, looking around and looking ahead, it gives you some ways to think about you know, identifying what's meaningful to you. I, I, f- I find one of the things I find 
quite challenging sometimes in, in my mind is when there is a, a disaster or you know a big issue and you we all we all feel like the migrant crisis at the moment and we all feel you know very concerned about that is that there seems to be often so many organizations that are not necessarily centrally controlled all doing their bit uh, and you kind of wonder how effective it is uh, and it's you and I certainly for myself find a bit confused where to where to donate and you know where best to pot the money mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah I mean it can be challenging I think um you know one of the things that um happens is that people rush to decisions and rush to give um and again when there's an immediate need that that's beneficial because there's, you know, the resources can, can be very helpful instantly. But I think it's worth taking the time to really do a little bit of research, which is a lot easier to do now with the internet than it was, you know, 10 years ago to understand what are some of the best organizations, what's the track record, what are the needs as they're emerging? Um, what are people on the ground in those areas saying that they need? What, what are some of the, you know, larger national and international organizations saying that they need. Um, in those instances, there are often you know, networks of funders and donors that are working together to share information. So I think it's it's helpful to take the time. And, you know, that could be in an hour or a couple of hours or a couple of days or uh, getting the help of a philanthropy advisor like myself to help you figure out and sort of unpack what are the different kinds of needs and, you know, where are you most likely to have to make a difference yeah that make, makes uh, makes a lot a lot of sense and i mean with, with with yourself for example have you i guess you've you've got developed lots of connections maybe in some of these organizations where funds flow to would that be right and you can advise on you know on different different segments that people might yeah so. yeah i mean certainly you know no philanthropy advisor knows every single organization in the world but um you certainly you don't you know enough people who know enough people, and so you can reach out and find out, um, and also access you know networks of organizations um, around the world that can uh, provide some advice and guidance, which I think is really helpful. Um, I think another thing that you can do is, and and funders and donors can do this, all, and should be doing this all the time, is really learning from their giving. So if you're giving in an ongoing way to an issue that you care about then you continuously learn um, about that organization, about that issue, about what impact your funding has had, and you can make course corrections as you go. So, you know, you can, um, you know, and be in contact with these organizations so that you understand, you know, what their needs are and be very open to, um, to, you know, having conversations and learning from them um, what's happening and, needs change being re- being responsive and flexible to support them we've got just a couple of minutes left till commercial break uh, so you, we may need to come back to this question after the break if it's not enough time but um, i know you mentioned to me in in our planning call that there are different strategic options available to you when it comes to giving i just wonder if you could maybe share what those are sure different ways to think about that um one is uh to build on something that is already successful or that already exists and has a proven track record. So if you're aware of a, you know, um, national strategy to whatever, uh, and substance use or, um, reduce homelessness or something like that, then you can add on to that, um, and, and have an impact, uh, maybe in a different component, uh, based on what they need. So for example, we worked with, um, one of my clients was the Charles and Helen Schwab foundation, which was very interested in supporting substance abuse treatment. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is a much larger uh, U.S. foundation that was doing a lot of work in substance abuse. And so we partnered, uh, the two foundations partnered together, and the smaller Schwab Foundation was able to have a lot of impact in the work that the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation was already doing uh, by funding different components of it, funding an evaluation, for example. So they were able to leverage and build upon really good work that was already being done, but have a specific impact in an area that was of interest to them. So that's one way. Um, and similarly, you know, partnerships, um, you know, finding other people that are interested in working with you. It sounds like your example of the person in the Mississippi River 
uh, found other people who were also interested that could leverage their money together for greater impact. One challenge I find is a lot of people, you know, they, they are passionate about something and they want to make a difference and their instinct is to start a brand new nonprofit organization. Yes. And often that really is not the best idea, you know, um, because for several reasons, one, uh, just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean you're actually good at running a nonprofit organization. Uh, you might not have the management skills or the fundraising skills, for example. Um, secondly, uh, there might be other existing organizations already doing really good work that could use your help to make their work more, even more effective. And so having more and more and more nonprofits doing similar things isn't, not, isn't necessarily the best approach having more effort, resources, and talent focused on, you know, a few organizations doing really good work might be a better idea. Excellent. We're going to have to go to commercial break there. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. And then after the break, we're going to explore some of the really creative examples and things that people uh, who have worked with Chris have, uh, have come up with. Um, so we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. If you are a beginning or aspiring entrepreneur, have you thought about a coach or mentor? For instance, think about sports figures who have successfully become entrepreneurs and leaders in business. They started out with a coach in their respective sport, and many work with a coach today to help them continue to achieve their goals. Listen for ESCN with host Michael Dawson and co-host Angelia Hobson and Diane Daniels. Tune in Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, and 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business and rebroadcasts on Voice America Sports. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, I'm with uh, Chris Putnam Walkley. We're talking about developing your giving strategy. And before the break, we were chatting about the different strategic options available to you. And I wondered, uh, Chris, um, whether you could maybe share some of your favorite examples of, you know, creative individual giving. Yeah, you know, some of my best examples, uh, my favorite examples are when people um, use their funds and then leverage even more money to have greater impact. So, for example, one of my colleagues, uh, Craig McCarvey, uh, worked actually at the James Irvine Foundation in San Francisco, and he was awarded a national prestigious philanthropy award that came with a $10,000 gift to him. So uh, being a philanthropist and donor, he wanted to make an, a difference with that money. So he actually used his $10,000 to generate another $90,000 for $100,000. Um, he did that because his employer had a matching gift program. And that's a lot of, you know, one of the ways that corporations can help support um, charitable giving among their employees. So for every $1 he donated, they matched $3. So he donated, donated his 10000 and that became another $30,000 for $40,000. And so he chose to um, also make a $10,000 discretionary grant, so that became $50,000. Uh, he then decided that the issue he cared the most about was um, immigrants in the central 
Valley of California, which is where a lot of California's immigrant population lives. So he realized that if that $50,000 was invested wisely, uh, it would generate about $2,500 annually. And so he used uh, that award, so he gave that $50,000 that he had generated to the organization to invest uh, to generate an annual $2,500 award to an immigrant who was helping to promote civic participation among immigrants in the Silicon Valley. So basically every year until, you know, eternity, uh, another $2,500 will be generated to support uh, civic participation among immigrants in that community. And then the Irvine Foundation actually made another $50,000 matching gift. So that totals $100,000. So his $10,000 becomes $100,000. And every year, $2,500 is being generated. So to me, it was a very creative and strategic way to you know, leverage his contacts and his knowledge uh, and his passions uh, for the greater good. Wow. Brilliant. I've got a couple of them just going to share that. I like, and interestingly, they connect my guest from last week with and also the guest um, on my show next week. So my guest last week, uh, Andy Gilbert. Um, Andy, uh, I remember Andy was on a TV series, a, a, some kind of a quiz show, and he won £65,000. So what he decided to do was he he, he gave that money away and uh, and they, they emailed out to their kind of networks and communities. And anybody who had got a great idea – uh, that of something that they really wanted to achieve, uh, then they could put in a request for some of that money to do it. And there were people wanting to to develop their local kind of gardening plots and all sorts of things. So he gave away the money. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't. He didn't feel like he he deserved to keep it himself. So that was quite sort of creative. But my guest on um, Chris on next week's show, Tony Burgess, he actually decided to donate one of his kidneys um, just because he'd met somebody. <laughs> who'd inspired him, and uh, he decided that he wanted to go, and it was an ultimate gifted gift, so he gave one of his kidneys, which uh, I thought was quite a noble thing to do. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, we talk about time, talent, and treasure, right? You can give your time, volunteer, you can give your talent, your knowledge and expertise, and you can give your treasure, which is generally thought of as your money, but certainly (laughs) a kidney would be an important treasure. I mean, that's really remarkable that he was willing to do that. And to make that sacrifice, that's impressive. Yeah, because we talked a lot about giving money, actually, but you know, the giving of giving of uh, of your time sometimes to things. You know, if you if you can't afford to give money, or you um, or actually by through your time you can generate much more. Uh, that can be another helpful strategy, can't it? Yeah, it can. I mean, and there's a lot of organizations where they do both, right? They um, they give, they give financially to the nonprofit organizations, but they also have expertise on staff uh, in the form of maybe management or communications or PR or whatever to help the nonprofit organizations um, to be more effective, build their own uh, capacity internally in those areas, which I think is wonderful. Um, I do think you have to be careful when you approach it that way because, you know, you want to as a funder, you want to just have sort of clear lines of, you know, demarcation, if you will, uh, to make sure you're not overly um, prescriptive to the nonprofit and telling them and micromanaging them as to how they should operate. But certainly if you have expertise uh, that they need and would like, then, then that's a win-win for everybody. And how about, how about corporate giving? Um, how should, uh, and I, I actually worked on a project, a major project for about 18 months with a client uh, and and I even found myself that I was being approached about um, from a number of different sources asking for money because I was engaging with the local community on this project. Um, I mean, how, how, how should corporates manage this and, uh, and also how should they deal with ad hoc requests when approached? Yeah, I think um, any corporation, regardless of size, so if you're a large multinational corporation or you're a small business owner, um, could think about, you know, what are the issues uh, and causes that are most meaningful to you as a corporation? You can think about that in a few different ways. One is, you know, based on the industry that you're in, what would be an issue that's relevant to that? So if you're in the food service industry, you might care about food access or um, having a high-quality produce in a neighborhood or 
supporting food pantries. Those would be relevant issues. You can also think about what um, you as a business owner care the most about because it is your business. And uh, you can also think about what your employees care the most about and really figure out ways to engage your employees in your corporation's charitable giving, either as volunteers or as decision makers in helping identify what the needs are and making funding decisions. Um, But, you know, you mentioned how do you respond to ad hoc requests, and I think um, funders, corporate or, you know, individual donors can think about being responsive to needs or being strategic and targeted or a combination. So, you know, if you care about, um, you know, workforce development or uh, mental health or healthcare, whatever the issue is, you can be very strategic and think about exactly the impact you want to have and how you want to go about doing that. Or you can be responsive and allow people in your community to submit proposals to you for requests for funding on any kind of issue. And so that's a choice that you can make as a corporation or as a donor. And a lot of people, and I think a really good approach is to do a little bit of both. Um, Pick the issues that are meaningful to you and the difference that you want to make and, and go after it. And also set aside some of your money to respond to different kinds of needs in the community that might be emerging, um, you know, so that you can be a responsive uh, corporate grant maker. Excellent. Excellent. Um, One of the areas that I'm particularly interested in myself and do a lot of work in is employee engagement. And I was just thinking while you were saying that, I mean, uh, that there is an opportunity with this to uh, get employees really engaged and maybe uh, asking some of them, about uh, you know what are the, some of the things that are, are important to them, and maybe there's a fund of money that could be split between certain ideas that employees put in and allow the employee to go and give a check or make a contribution could could make people feel really good within your workforce. Um, so I think the, definitely the, and certainly you know I think employees the benefit is they're you know living in the community, uh, experiencing life, and you know they're connected in different ways through their churches and their schools and. Um, they're different organizations, so they're, you know, it's a great source of data, if you will, of on the ground, you know, what's happening in those communities. And that's especially true if you have offices all over the world. Um, you can have uh, folks on the ground who can inform your understanding of what the needs are. Now, some of your clients are very wealthy. I mean, what high net worth stra- strategies are really adding value out there today? You know, I think the giving pledge is certainly a, a very important strategy among the ultra wealthy to really, um, you know, commit to giving a, a majority of, your, of one's wealth away. So that's certainly, I think, raising a lot of visibility about the value of philanthropy, um, educating people um, who have from all over the world with different values and experiences and history, you know, in their countries about philanthropic giving. So I think it's doing a lot to signal not only to those, you know, the peers of those individuals um, who have, you know, billions and billions of dollars, but also to others, you know, who are really learning the value of philanthropic giving and and ways to, um, you know, really ways to make that commitment. Brilliant. Now, we've got um, just a sort of couple of minutes or so before we need to end the show. And I wondered um, whether you had any final messages that you'd like to leave us with, Chris. Yeah, I'd say there's three, really. One is to, you know, do your homework. Uh, when you want to give, spend a little bit of time up front in figuring out what's the, what's the right organization, what's the issue that you care about, um, what are the greatest needs uh, in your community. Because the more, the more effort you put up front to figure that out, the more impactful your giving is. I think secondly is to learn, to really take the time to learn as you give to continually improve your experience and the impact that you're having as a, as a grant maker, as a philanthropist. And then thirdly is to leverage, is to figure out, you know, you have your $100 or your $100,000 or your million dollars. You can extend the impact uh, by partnering with other organizations, other experts, other donors, uh, to really ensure that your, your financial contribution has uh, a broader or deeper, wider impact on the issues you care about. Wonderful. Well, uh, Chris, it's been a, a, an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. And uh, I think what I you know, find fascinating about what you do out there is you are doing something that really is very worthy and you're advising people on 
how to how to be worthy and and how to add value to the world to their communities in a very sensible uh, strategic uh, way uh, and uh, therefore you know full respect for creating a, an organization a business that helps people do you know more of something which uh, enables them to you know feel good I, I always say to people you know that when I'm old I want to look back on my life and enjoy it uh, even uh, all Absolutely. over again <laughs> and uh, I think what you do you know is ha- helps people towards that dream so um, so thank you you're very um, welcome thanks for having me yeah, good, good. I hope you've enjoyed being on today. And if people have got any questions or feedback on the show, do send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I will um, sometimes mention people on the show um, if there's good comments and, and messages. If you want for more information on Chris Putnam Walkley, go to Putnam, that's P-U-T-N-A-M-consulting.com. That's P-U-T-N-A-M dash consulting.com. I'm sure Chris will be pleased to help you and uh, if, and and liaise with you if you want to um, connect with her. Now, on my show next week, um, we have Tony Burgess. And uh, Tony is an expert in, in things like NLP. Uh, and uh, he's, he's the individual I mentioned actually donated a, a kidney to charity. And we'll talk a little bit about that story and some other added value business uh, elevation uh, discussion and doing that session next week. But once again, a big thank you to my guest, Chris Putnam Walkley. And I wish you all a tremendous week. And I look forward to Um, to bring you more content and uh, hopefully hearing from you soon. Thank you. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.